off and on in the 70s, but I was mostly just uh, in recovery from, uh, I'd been an academic and uh, dropped out of the teaching and and, uh, PhD program. And then I was in politics, and politics fell apart. So I was uh, pretty, pretty deep uh, despair and wondering what to do with my life in my 30s. And uh, then I came back to music. And started practicing, and then suddenly just hit on playing freely, uh, kind of out of frustration, and just really liked it and saw no reason to do anything else. You cannot uh, go into a gallery and see a Franz Klein painting and wonder, really wonder about it, because you know that's the painting of this genius painter, uh, uh, and uh, you can't, you can't say uh, my kid could have done that the way they did at the time. And it was those people who said my kid could have done that who were fascinated with it. Right. They would reject it, but they were also, you know, like, there's something there that my kid couldn't have done. Right. (laughs) And to be caught in that situation is uh, uh, something uh, uh, surprising. I mean, I experienced it in the 80s when I was traveling, not in the cities, but when I was traveling around the country. and uh, playing, playing in uh, smaller towns. Nobody had ever. There was no internet. Nobody had ever heard of this kind of music. And yeah. people would come, thinking uh, it was, uh, you know, it's a concert. And uh, oh, that's great. Let's go. You know, and then mm, not really knowing or... what to make of it yeah. because it didn't. It just didn't make any sense. And they would have this, the same kind of. Uh, uh, ambivalent relationship to it. Yeah. And it's not a relationship that makes people feel like uh, paying for an evening of entertainment. You know, it's a, it's a real experience of something that is, you know, here is somebody who is apparently serious and they've traveled and they go around and people would say, why do you, why do, you do this? Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, what do you think you're doing? What do you call this? <laughs> what would you say when I said why do you do that? Uh, or what well, would you say I, I, I do it uh, for my pleasure. Uh, I mean, I'm just uh, following, following sounds where they go. There's not much you can say about it, really about why you know like if you're playing jazz you say well I love jazz or if you have a genre but this isn't it isn't really a genre because uh, it can't a genre has to be is something you can you can say what the standards are for sure yeah there really aren't any
the response to the music. That's the response we like from the audience. Just growling, you know, like... <laughs> it's important to get a reaction. You, know? you play and then everybody, you know, like the beat audience would snap their fingers. What, what will require is people to growl. I learned a lot. And I learned that uh, it makes a difference. This was the diving board area and I was one of the guards and there were a lot of the, the three meter board. If you fell off sideways, you landed on the damn, uh, the darn cement over there. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. Capital has a, a hunger for more and more material, more and more areas of human life and existence. Uh, to to um, um, uh, to exploit. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He's waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There's a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, What am I going to do? He said, Come down here in the basement where mechanics, where where, where all the pool filter is. You know the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off a six foot length of chain, he folded up, he said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. Those days, you used to remember the straight razor, you'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in a rain barrel, get them rusty. And I looked at them, but I was smart then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you to get off the board, you get off the board, and I'll kick you out again, but I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize for that. I apologize, but I didn't know that apology was going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize for that, not for throwing you out, but I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. It's not so much a cycle as it is uh, just uh, taking one area after another 
um, and now just really, really penetrating people's lives uh, and seeing where, what can be, uh, what can be monetized. Love relationships are monetized and, and calculate, you know, calculation enters into all kinds of things. Right. So, uh, what is the, what kind of reaction is there to that? Well, I, you know, uh, I don't know, there doesn't seem to be, uh, doesn't seem to, there's no, doesn't seem to be any stopping of it because it follows the, the line of uh, technology development. Yes, in the 60s, uh, uh, people, for instance, it was the artists who created, who took the initiative in creating new products. Uh, and. Uh, the institutions really didn't have control of what was going on. They weren't making that much money off it. Right. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't until the 70s and 80s that you created the art was created as a as a nostalgia business. The educational institutions, which had not really paid attention to art in the past, now all of a sudden. Everybody's an artist, and and uh, you're a creative person. That's what you know. That's what society needs: creative people. This is a new way of thinking. Instead of being professionals and doing your job according to professional standards, you're you're supposed to be you know creating creating your life, creating for the world, and that's going to earn you money. Something, but but prayer is uh, you know uh, Simone Weil, W E I L, French woman. Uh, she's very interesting. Uh, wrote in the 30s about stuff like this, about um, prayer and uh, concentration. And uh, prayer is really if you if, if you're a, an atheist, you say there is no God. You're thinking that you're praying to God, but actually you are entering your own heart. You are alone with yourself. You're, you're stripped of any kind of narcissism or, you know, like uh, games. You know, prayer strips you of these games because this, this God is supposedly just already knows you better than you know yourself. That kind of humility, I think, is a kind of uh, consciousness that is not is not uh, accessed today. The idea that uh, I know how I'm, I can be perfectly honest and know how imperfect I am. Have trouble being a consumer. I think I absorbed sort of a depression spirit growing up in the 40s, you know, uh, before we had things. Uh, I, I couldn't see the point of buying new things when the old things were still, you know, perfectly uh, functioning and 
you know, yeah. like why do you what do you need? What, what this consumer need never, you know, uh, got through to me. Yeah. And I didn't have any money, but I also uh, didn't didn't want to work. I didn't want to spend any more time working than I had to to sure. supply just the basics. And I see uh, a lot of artists today who are brought up as they are consumers, so they can't imagine working less and uh, uh, having more time for themselves. Right. I mean, to have time for yourself is just like, that's just the essential thing. And the only way you can get that is by by uh, not not working so much. Just to have opinions is not, uh, doesn't really mean very much. Sure. Even to go to demonstrations is, is not much. You have to think, well, what do you, uh, what do you want to do? What are you doing in relationship to other people that has some kind of uh, uh, political uh, direction? Yeah. And I thought of free improv as uh, somewhat you know, social and political, because it was uh, getting people together for uh, some purpose that had nothing to do with uh, uh, capitalist uh, social relations. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it was something that the left would have nothing to do with. You know, uh, leftists were interested, they were uh, anarchists or they were interested in punk or something, but to leave ordinary music behind altogether was uh, not not something that I mean those weren't the people who would come to come to shows.
like a, the feeling of freedom mm-hmm. really doesn't doesn't mean too much politically uh, does, uh, uh, unless you are um, unless it's uh, connected to something uh, larger so in the 60s to say that free jazz at that time was emancipatory uh, was because of a, uh, of a culture which was uh, a very exploratory. Sure, yeah. uh, there were, uh, you know, uh, there were psychologists who were opening up completely new ideas and uh, visual art, concept art, asking the question, uh, what is art anyway, you know? Um, and uh, uh, so, in a in a context where you feel like you are there's a certain you you have lived under a certain expectations of how you're supposed to behave and think, and this begins to lift, and so it opens up a lot of questions. Uh, that you know a lot of uh, 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 things that you can think that you wouldn't have thought before. So it's in this in this social context. Now, right now, we're not in that context at all. Right. Except uh, for a, a, a very small number of people who uh, are, you know. Uh, Pretty much uh, just finding each other, but not having any, not getting to the surface of what is called American culture. This is all underground, and it's underground in a way that the beats were not. Right. Because the beats lived in this culture where people felt that it was repressive, and so they see the beats and they're attracted to it. Whereas our culture believes that it's been emancipated. We are free. So we don't need to... We're not going to find any freedom in in anything that's going on in art. Sure, yeah. Uh, and that's the, the genius of... I wouldn't say that I'm... Uh, you know, a, a leftist in the sense that, I'm, that I have a, a politics, but uh, I'm much more of a, an analyst of uh, culture and historically where things have gone. sounds so interesting in the the intro to it sounds so interesting and free there's a lot of music that starts out you know really kind of loose yeah, you know and then you know and then it congeals and the pulse comes in and and then you're in the normal territory so it's like uh, sometimes people will say people who are unfamiliar with it will say well we thought you were just getting ready to play. You just never got there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were just doing the intro, and we would get around to it sooner or later because that's our obligation. Yeah. Uh, well, sure, there are a lot of people who improvise who need some 
kind of uh, familiar style or uh, something. Mostly uh, people go in the direction of jazz. Mm-hmm. And this is really the kind of music we're doing, I would say, if, if uh, free jazz musicians had been able to continue and they weren't so, uh, so much professional musicians who had to think, well, now we got to start thinking of how to earn a living doing this. You know, like, free improv in this country is like, uh, was very similar to, a lot of it was very similar to free jazz, but it was just more uh, open to sound. And uh, it's like, so you can see how it might have evolved this way, such that I can imagine, a, you know, Albert Eiler or Eric Dolphy, you know, coming coming back to life and and uh, saying, yeah, this is you've really taken what we were doing and just the way we evolved from 1961 to 1965, you have evolved uh, from there. Right. You know, just making it more free and uh, opening up sound, I mean, which is what they were doing. It just got. Everybody, they were really dependent on the scene, you know, so what we have now is not, is not dependent on any, any scene at all. Right. There's nothing that, no reason that we should stop doing what we're doing, because nobody's paying us to do it. Big impact on me. Um, when I heard it, um, but uh, he's he's uh, I've, I have some distance from him in that uh, I'm not interested in playing at all like him or ever have been. I'm much sure. more of an Ornette person, right, right. Ornette Coleman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the alto and a lighter instrument. Ornette was the uh, was really the more the, the radical player in terms of the notes that he was playing and the boldness of you know uh, what he was doing uh, in 1959. Is is I don't know. They're two really very different characters. Right. And uh, Coltrane was very much affected by Ornette and what Ornette was doing, but not so much musically. Like I'm gonna do that kind of thing. You're right. But Ornette had a big impact on other other musicians. You can hear people who are doing things sort of Ornette-like mm. uh, duos where you're following the same line and, and all. Um, no, I think uh, Coltrane had a big impact on the whole free jazz thing, where when he died, it was sort of over. Uh, and But there were a lot of other factors involved in that. I don't, I don't feel like uh, either him or now, Albert Eiler was also, you know, music is the uh, healing force of the universe, that kind of thing. It's never uh, really affected me. Um, but I'm impressed by uh, the boldness of what a lot of those people were saying at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in terms of the the kind of meekness that musicians have today. Like Eiler, Eiler said something like, uh, if you're not if you're not paying attention to the music that we're doing now, you're just you're just nowhere. Right. You're just missing everything. And it was the same thing that uh, um, that James Joyce said in 1920, 21 or 22. After he'd written, uh, uh, after Ulysses was published, and he said, I mean, there were these this conversation, book of conversations, where he said, 
if you're not, if you're not, if you don't get what I'm doing here, you're just, you know, there's, there's nothing in your brain at all. You know, I mean, you're, you know, like, either you get it or you don't, but if you don't, I'm not going to be bothered with you. Right. I don't have to, I don't have to pay attention to any rejection of what I'm doing. And that's sort of the, that was, that's, that's the modernist spirit. And the free jazz people were the last of the modernists, the last with that kind of boldness, that kind of, you know, like, uh, fuck you if you're not, if you don't, if, if you don't get with this stuff, uh, 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 you're missing, you're missing the whole where music is going. Right, right. You're missing music. <laughs> you know, and that's a pretty, you know, like, oh, well, you know, you can't say that. Yeah. Oh, yes, you can. So now, today, we honor James Joyce, who said these things, but we're not going to honor any artist who has that kind of boldness. Right, right. They're just, oh, you're just out for yourself. You're just, you're just uh, uh, bragging. Right, right. You because know, we're living in just such a different world today, where uh, uh, art is just... Uh, it's a it's a it's a middle class profession. You go to music school, you go to art school. Nobody was interested in doing that stuff, except really people who were just you know like I'm going to do this. I have to do art. I have to do music. It only began when uh, in the '60s when uh, visual artists uh, began to uh, see that. I mean, when, when visual artists started uh, making decent money, right. then the kids could say, oh, gee, I can be respected. I could be, it could be like becoming a lawyer or a doctor or something. It's a professional. Right. I'm a professional and I'm going to earn good money and blah, blah, blah. So they start going to, you know, so the music schools, which had, you know, despised jazz, all of a sudden, like, you're going to have a jazz department here because the kids are coming. Right, right. And now you can't get anywhere in the music world without a without a degree. Right, right. You know, if you're not credentialed, then you're not going to get have such and such a, a future. And people are just making that up now because there doesn't seem to be that much. The future is not as guaranteed. Very.
the great advantage of being an older person uh, in our world, as opposed to, say, three centuries ago, is that, uh, uh, you know, to be brought up in the 40s and 50s and think, this is the world, get used to it, this is how things are, and then have that exploded, and then have it crushed, and then have something else happen, and then, you know, and here we are now, reading books that I read 50, 50 years ago, uh, or even more, and seeing what they are, what that world was. concept of history is that any present that you are experiencing now is going to be ripped apart and this is uh, uh, maybe you know if if you feel totally locked into the present like you're comfortable with it then this will be really disturbing to you but if you are dissatisfied with the present then uh, surely in 30 years it's going to be gone. <laughs> 